Momitobi's Revolution Cafe and Art Bar isn't exactly where you'd expect a criminal mastermind to spend his time. It's a bustling place with an old wooden bar replete with beer taps, funky art on the walls, and big jars of cookies on the counter. It's about a half mile west of San Francisco's Gold Dome City Hall. There's even a German beer garden nearby. But Momitobi's was where Ross Ulbricht basically ran Silk Road for about two years, until he was arrested at a library in 2013, just a few miles from here. Out of that stunning arrest of the drug kingpin who goes by the name Dread Pirate Roberts. The FBI calls it the most sophisticated criminal marketplace on the Internet. It was eBay for drugs with a couple of innovations. Nicholas Weaver is a senior researcher at the International Computer Science Institute in Berkeley. He's followed the case closely, which ended with Ulbricht getting a double life sentence after being convicted of drug crimes. Ulbricht's appeal is now pending. Weaver explains why Silk Road was so hard to penetrate. It had a payment system the feds couldn't stop. The system was pseudonymous, so you could gain a positive reputation. And it acted as a escrow service and dispute resolution provider. So it basically arbitraged trust. You had to trust Silk Road, and Silk Road would ensure that the dealer would provide the product. In other words, buyers and sellers all used fake names, and Silk Road itself took a cut of every deal. Ulbricht ran his empire using the latest encryption and anonymity tools. First off, the site was only accessible via Tor, an anonymous way to browse the web. Drugs and other wares were priced in Bitcoin, a difficult-to-trace digital currency. Many people communicated using encrypted email, and Ulbricht himself encrypted his laptop. Court documents say Silk Road sold $1.2 billion worth of drugs and illegal services in just under three years. When federal law enforcement first tried to approach Silk Road, they didn't really know how. It was unlike any other digital case anyone had ever seen. And so for two years, they tried everything. You had law enforcement infiltrate as admins. You had law enforcement take over admin accounts. You had law enforcement get corrupt and try to steal a lot of money. But in the end, what broke the case was a combination of diligent police work and a bit of hacking. Eventually, the site was infiltrated by at least three federal agents. And once they started establishing patterns of behavior, they started physically surveilling him too. In the end, the bus came when agents had followed Ulbricht to a library. There, a man and a woman, working undercover, staged an argument right behind Ulbricht. When he turned around to see what was going on... They tackled him with the computer open, and this broke the case wide open. The cops found a treasure trove of information about Silk Road. The best part? They found an extensive diary going back years of how Ulbricht started and operated Silk Road. Because he forgot the rule number one of criminal conspiracies. You don't make notes on a criminal bleeping conspiracy. Seizing the computer while it was open and running was crucial. By doing that, all of Ulbricht's fancy encryption was worthless. While the Ulbricht case represents a major victory for law enforcement, increasingly the FBI and other agencies are concerned that encryption is giving criminals the upper hand, and so they argue companies should be compelled to have a means for law enforcement to access encrypted data. This is FBI Director James Comey speaking in October 2014. Unfortunately, the law has not kept pace with technology, and this disconnect has created the significant public safety problem we have long described as going dark. And what it means is this. Those charged with protecting our people aren't always able to access the evidence we need to prosecute crime and prevent terrorism, even with lawful authority. The issue gained new importance after the mass shooting in San Bernardino last year. 
The government tried to force Apple to create an entirely new operating system to open up the locked iPhone used by a dead terrorist. But Catherine Crump, a law professor at the University of California, Berkeley, doesn't believe warrant-proof encryption is making us less safe. She points to all the other information readily available to law enforcement. In reality, the government actually has access to far more information about what each of us says and does than it has ever had before. Um, That's not to say there isn't some information that the government can't access. But far from going dark, this is a golden age for law enforcement. For example, in the San Bernardino case, Crump notes the government had all kinds of access to the shooter's phone records and information backed up to Apple's iCloud. Yet that service, which many people use to store messages, photos, and more, is a prime example of why the FBI and other agencies think Apple is being disingenuous when it says it can't build a secure encryption system with a so-called backdoor access for warrants. Because they figure, if Apple can build secure access for itself into the cloud, surely it can find a way to do that for its iPhone. So the question is not really, is it technically feasible to build a solution of this type? David Bitkower is a deputy assistant attorney general at the Department of Justice. He points out that Apple has designed iCloud in such a way that they can hand over data to the government if needed. Similarly, the way that Google makes money is by running ads against your private email and your searches. For Bitkower, the bottom line is simple. The question is, at the end of the day, when we think about the value of law enforcement or the value of public safety, do we think that the value of law enforcement is on a par with the need for targeted advertisement or searchability or recovery functions, because the problem has already been solved in that context. But many civil libertarian advocates like Crump think that the encryption debate is practically moot. Strong warrant-proof encryption is getting easier to use and is becoming more widespread as lawmakers are struggling to come up with their own answer. In the Silk Road case, law enforcement was able to legally access the server's hidden IP address overseas. It's a technique that will soon likely be expanded to allow magistrate judges to authorize searches anywhere in the country. Currently, those judges can only sign off on searches within their own districts. In turn, that makes it easier for law enforcement to eliminate the anonymity of suspected criminals and terrorists online. In the end, Silk Road may be the template for how law enforcement defeats strong encryption. Rather than targeting what is being said, they're looking to find out who is saying it and where. That way they can deploy human agents to physically nab the bad guys. For America Abroad, I'm Sarus Faravar in San Francisco.